This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Jen Ripple is the owner and editor-in-chief of Dunn Magazine, an international women's fly fishing publication, the first of its kind. I met Jen about six years ago when she was just getting done off the ground. I found her perspective on the fishing industry refreshing, so I was excited when our paths crossed and we could sit down to record a conversation. In this episode of Anchored, Jen and I discuss what it's like to pick up fly fishing later in life, the risks of starting the industry's first female-only magazine, empowerment, dating people who don't fish, plus we take a closer look at the fishing in bikinis controversy. I was born and raised in West Bend, Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Yeah. What, Wisconsin where, girl. Where did I meet you? Was that in Ohio? In, no, in Illinois, in Chicago. Okay, so what were you doing there? Uh, I moved to Chicago when I became an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Which Got was, out of West Bend. <laughs> okay, so we'll get to your adulthood. Yeah. Um, wh- so what was it like growing up for you? Uh, it was great. I grew up on a lake. My dad was a contractor. He built a lot of our hometown. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She's from Russia. so I'm, Your mom's Russian? Yeah. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, so I'm like first-generation you know, American. And so I, was, I grew up with a very strong sense of patriotism. My mom had to work hard to get here. And uh, my dad's whole side of the family, you know, lived on the same lake as we did. The ripples were all on the same lake. My grandmother in That's her infinite... So, is that like a pun? Yeah. In her infinite <laughs> wisdom, my grandmother bought up a lot of the property on Wallace Lake 
in West Bend because she always want, she said she always wanted a ripple on the water. Oh, I love right? it. Yeah. So I grew up with water in my veins there and just spent my whole growing up time on the water. I didn't fish, which is interesting, but, you know, did all the boating and the skiing and the ice skating and all the stuff that goes with living on a lake. What about siblings? So my parents are divorced and in my biological siblings are Mike and Tanya. And then my parents both remarried and both of them had children already. And so I actually have three brothers named Mike and two sisters named Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> but how many kids have you got? I have four. Okay. All right. All yeah. right. So you have a big family. I do. Yeah. How- I it, didn't expect to have four kids, but somehow it just happens. You just don't look like you have four kids. No, thanks. Good genes, I think, because I don't exercise. Yeah. Because you're really like, you, you're fit. Yeah. I'm not healthy, but I'm I'm skinny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when did you start fishing? I started fishing when I was in my 30s, late 30s. So it wasn't until I was well after I got divorced that I started fishing. So what happened? You got rid of the man and you're like, I'm going to just start over. You know, I just kind of fell into it. It was, I was post-divorce and I was dating this guy and uh, I was in Michigan at the time and I had broken up with him and I was looking for something to do. It was really cold that year in uh, Michigan and I was kind of housebound looking for something, a new set of friends. And so I found a fly tying class on Craigslist. And so I walked into the fly shop. I didn't even know what that was. Walked into the fly shop. And the second I walked into the fly shop, I was just like, okay, I'm home. This is something I'm going to love. So I started to tie flies first before I ever started to fish. How interesting is that? Okay, so wait, bring me back to this psychology because that's really interesting just for people listening because a surprising amount of my listeners are women who don't fish. Uh-huh. Which is really cool to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but I just have such a different path. So I don't understand or, or uh, like I can't imagine what that's like. So walk me through it. Tell me what you were thinking. Why, why, why there? Why didn't you go do knitting or yeah, something? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I always say. I'm like, I'm not one to crochet. I am not artistic in any way. I cannot crochet. I cannot sew. I cannot do any of that. I could barely print my name. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I saw that, it was just something that was different. And, you know, maybe... Okay, so you saw it. You didn't seek it out. No, I was looking on Craigslist for events in the area. And then oh. that was there. And I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. And to be real honest, it was super cheap. So it was like eight classes for 65 bucks. And I thought, well, you know what? If I don't like it, then it's not a lot of money out of my pocket. I will just try it. So did you have to bring materials? No, everything was there. Would you have gone if you had to bring anything? I wouldn't have had anything. So yeah, I probably wouldn't have gone. Okay. Listen, shop owners. Uh huh. This is an interesting way of bringing people in. Yeah. Fascinated. What if it was free? Because a lot of people offer free classes. Yeah. So I would have totally tried it if it was free. But I think that I think that because they charged me for it, I was more apt to go. If it had been free, I probably would have, oh, it's too cold tonight or found it. I'm tired from after work. So because I had some skin in the game, I think that helped me to get in the door. Good point. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy that you mentioned this. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you show up. What's it like? How many people are there? It was a really small group. It was probably eight people. Um, the shop owner was fabulous. There were two shop dogs, which made it even better. And it was one of those shops that's right on the river, old looking kind of building, but beautiful inside. The shop owner was known for drinking scotch and smoking a cigar out in front with everybody that was there, which I was all about. And, you know, it was, there were two women in the class, which was really interesting. I mean, this is back, you know, 20 years ago or something like that. And so it was interesting to me that I could go in and there were women that were there. We were all learning at the beginner level. And the instructor was really, he was real. It was Mike Schultz, you know, Mike Schultz. Yeah. Wait, was it his shop? No, it was Colton Bay. 
Before his shop. Oh, before his shop. Okay, yes. but Schultz, he was there. Yes, he was there. And he's amazing. And he helped teach the class. Yeah, he is amazing. And so I just learned from some really great people how to tie flies. That's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so then what happened? Did, when did you go fishing? So then as soon as the ice was off the Huron River, which is a bass river in Ann Arbor, as soon as the ice was off the river, I bought a used fly rod on Craigslist because I wasn't going to spend a whole bunch of money and then bought my line and stuff from Colton Bay. And I just, every day where I worked at the Kellogg Ice Center, the river was right behind there. So I would literally walk down, get out of the elevator, walk to my car, put my waders on and walk like 50 feet into the river. And I just spent every day after work teaching myself to fish. How did you learn to cast? Uh, well, not very well at the beginning, right? So I was doing my own thing. And then the Michigan Fly Girls had an all-woman's casting class. Right. They've been around for a long time. They have been along for a long, around for a long time. And so I took that class. And I only took it because it was all women. And I'm not an easily intimidated person, but for some reason, fly fishing was intimidating for me because there was, it was so male heavy. So I think that had there not been that all women's class to teach me how to cast better, I probably wouldn't be so involved as I am today. Yeah, and they're strong women, right? They are strong women. Yes, very yeah, strong women. I very remember. knowledgeable. You should interview Ann Miller. She's great. Yeah, yeah. She wrote a book on entomology, fishing in Michigan's waters. So she's already, she's got a very well-known book and she's really, really nice, really smart woman. I've heard about this book. Yeah. Thank you. I'll get her uh-huh. on here. I'll, yeah. I'll see if I can get her on That'd here. That'd be great. Okay, so then what happens? So then I teach myself to fish and at this time now, it's like maybe a couple months into it and I start dating this guy. And he's not an angler at all. He doesn't fish. And so I would spend every day out in the water and I would like, time would pass and I wouldn't know. So I would get these calls from him. Like I'd call and be like, oh my God, I spent so much time on the water. I'm so sorry. I missed dinner. Or, and he'd be like, really, really? You were out on the river by yourself? Who were you with? And I'm like, nobody was just by myself. And he's like, you were fishing by yourself. Yes, I was. And, he, and then I realized, I'm like, you this know what? I can relate to. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know what? This is not going to work for me anymore. So at that point, I told myself, I'm never going to date someone that doesn't already fish and come with better gear than I already have. So then I just became this obsessed freak fishing. And I would just spend all my time tying flies and teaching myself to fish for bass. It was a bass river. And I think it was two years before someone said to me, you can't fish for bass with a fly rod. And I was like, you can't? They're like, no, you're supposed to fish for trout. Trout? Supposed to. I know, right? (laughs) Of course, it was an old white dude. And I was like, really? I've never even caught a trout, you know? <laughs> and had you caught bass at that point? Oh yeah, lots of bass. And, I start, and I'm a lucky angler. So I started catching fish right away in spite of myself because I was smart enough to be like, okay, so it's summertime and there's grasshoppers around. I should use a grasshopper because I'm not a great angler yet. And I don't have really good, you know, line skills. So I w- my crappy cast will be exactly like a grasshopper that falls in the water and like freaks out, right? right? So that's like a natural presentation. So then I caught more fish because it was naturally, I didn't have to dead drift anything, you know? So I don't know. I guess I, I just, it was just the first fish right away that, I mean, I was even more enthralled with the sport. Yeah. Okay. And then when did your step into the industry come? Because I met you when you were I, th- I felt like you were just getting into the industry. Yeah. Was, is that accurate? No, I was, I was already in the industry because I was writing for a tight loop magazine. Okay. So you were writing for them, but yeah. you hadn't started. I hadn't started done, done yet. yet. Or maybe I just started done. I, I felt like it was all remember. just starting. Yeah. So it was probably new. Um, so I started writing for a tight loop magazine, which was a Midwest fly fishing magazine that was all digital. 
on purpose. Um, that was at the, it started at the time when everyone was saying that print was dead and that everything was going to, to digital. And so Kurt Kapala, who was the editor of that magazine, is that the guy? I'm, that's yeah, you I met, met him. He yep. is the nicest person. Isn't he so nice? He's he so really, nice. I thought he was your boyfriend. He is my boyfriend. Oh, is, are you guys still together? Yep. Okay. So you ended up meeting a great guy yeah. in fishing. Uh-huh. How did you, how'd you guys meet? Um, so I took a fly tank when I moved from Ann Arbor back to Chicago area. I started tying flies at the little tiny local shop, which is, you know, it's to say it's a fly shop would be a stretch. It's more like a rod building shop, but it's a really neat place. Anyways, I took a fly tying class there and he was teaching the class. And so then he asked me to write a woman's column. He had just started a tight loop magazine and, and he heard that I wrote this blog called, Oh, that's right. That was yeah. his, ba- okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all coming back. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So I wrote this blog called Arsenic and Church Grace way back in the day. And so he had seen that blog and knew that I wrote or liked to write. And so he asked if I'd write this woman's column in this fly fishing magazine. And I, at this point was like, you know, I loved it. I wasn't super, I was new to the sport, but not super new to the sport. So I was just this avid angler. And I thought, well, yeah, I can write a woman's column. So I did, but it was more like a double entendre kind of thing. Like I wrote articles like the sex hatch and like eight inches and all this stuff. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Wait, were you doing it on purpose? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm a good double entendre writer and kind of to show the hypocrisy of the fishing. Um, and then I thought, well, you know what? I really want to write. So I want to write for a woman's magazine. But why was it ridiculous? Why did you change your mind? Because they weren't, they were fun stories and I wanted to write more. This is a real story. I wanted to tell a real story instead of like this, you know, hey, I went to this one fly and it's a good thing that they gave us a ruler with eight inches because men have been telling me this is eight inches forever, you know, and I was just like, okay, I just want to write a story. I want to write an article about my real experience fishing. So I looked for a woman's magazine and there wasn't one. No. And so that was, um, and I was shocked about that. And so I went to Kurt and I said, hey, what do you think of me starting a woman's fly fishing magazine? And he said, there's got to be one out there already. And I said, okay, well, you look and see if you can find one. And so he spent a day looking and he said, you're right. There isn't one. No, definitely yeah. not. I, see, I would not have thought there was one because yeah. it all, everything comes down to money and there just, there, there aren't enough female participants to make yes. it work. I mean, that's what you would have heard, right? Right. Oh, and, and there was a guy in the industry that I really respected. And he said to me when I had told him that I was going to come out with the first magazine, he said, well, that's great. You'll have, I'm sure it's going to be fabulous. It'll be a, an awesome addition, but you'll only have have one because there aren't enough women that fish. That's right. And that's what I expected as well. Uh-huh. Or I thought to myself when all this is going down, I thought she'll do really well online. Uh-huh. When you went to print, I just was astounded. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, damn, like I really like Jen. I love what she's doing. I love her contributors. I have no idea how she's financially going to make this work. Yeah. And it sucked too because you were giving me advertising. Yeah. And you were just like the night you were so awesome and I wanted to see it work, but I was really genuinely, I can tell you this now, I was really scared for you. Well, me too. I'm scared for me too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it is a huge endeavor and it's a huge price point. I mean, this is not a small magazine. It's super expensive to print. It's, you know, recycled paper and the vegetable inks and, and it's, it's not a cheap endeavor, but you know, I love it. And so like, are you making it work? Yeah, I'm making it work. I mean, this is Jen, it's one of the most beautiful magazines out there for people who people can't see it right now, but we're not talking 50 pages of, you know, cheap flimsy paper with staples. Yeah. This is that's like what's the paper? What's the stock of that paper? I don't know. I don't deal with that. But it's like it's, <laughs> it's like, like 80 thick. pound or something. It's really heavy. The the cover's like 80 and I think the inside's 60. It's, it's beautiful. really Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, I think it's pretty. I mean, people keep them around and 
you know, someone asked me like the Mr. Magazine from the University of Mississippi, he asked me, well, why make such a big magazine that's expensive to print and it's expensive to ship? And, and I said, you know, I don't have any background in publishing or journalism. So I just made what I wanted to see all that stuff in hindsight, I probably would not have made that magazine had I known the cost involved and the shipping involved and all that. But once you have this, you know, I didn't want to make, it's so much work that I didn't want to just make a magazine that people would look at and then toss away. In hindsight, it was a really good business plan because by the time the print came out, it only came out because I'd had so many people say, where can I buy your magazine? Uh. You know, where can I find it? What stores is it in? And I already had such a following that when we came out with the first print, we had the customer base to actually print it. Of course. No, it sounds like a smart evolution. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk lucky. about let's lucky talk, ev- evolution. <laughs> I don't believe in luck. So let's talk about the magazine though, because it is a woman's only magazine, which can be confusing to people. And I wanted to kind of dive yeah. into that. So when we say women's only, does I, I have, I think I've seen male contributors in there. Yeah, there are, there are a few male contributors once in a while. It has to be a really great story. And when I say women only, it's not for women only. It's almost all women authors. So why does, this is what somebody would say, although now that you've seen the book that I'm reading, I'm (laughs) reading a book on feminism, I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Why does the industry need a woman's only book? And how would you feel if men put out a men's only book? There have been men's only books forever. (laughs) It was about about damn time that there was a woman's magazine out there. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So, you know, for me, especially in the industry, it is so male heavy and it has been a good old boys club for a long time. Even though if you look at the history of women in fly fishing, the first book was written by a woman in the 15th century. Yes. I love it when you tell the story. Can you please elaborate? Yeah. So the first book of fly fishing, a treatise of fishing with an angle was done by Dame Juliana Berners, who was a woman of noble birth and she was a nun. And so I thought, you know, when I was doing this history lesson, actually my history lesson started with you because when I first got into the industry, I mean, when I first got into the sport, I didn't really see a lot of women in the sport. And so I thought that we were new to the sport. Ah. And so I thought you were like the head, like you're the first woman of fly fishing, you know? And I was like, Oh my God, that's April. And then I started doing this history lesson. I was like, Oh no, it's Joan. And then I was like, wait a second. The first book was written by a woman. And it's an interesting story. I thought that she had written the book because she was, well, a nun, so she was bored, and of noble birth, so she didn't need to work, right? But that's not why. Back in the 15th century, in order for you to do an activity, it had to be condoned by the church. And in order for it to be condoned by the church, it had to be ble- there had to be a document that the priest could bless, and that's the document. This is fantastic. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so some of the arguments I've heard of that is that, you know, well, a man was the one who helped her to write it. Have you heard that? Yeah, I've heard that. And there's controversy about it, but she wrote a book on Hawking that she has full credit for. And that is much more popular than the treatise of fishing with an angle. And let me just ask you back in the 15th century, if a man wrote a book, would he give a woman credit? Hell no. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. So, and if you read the book, she talks about a whole bunch of things. She talks, it's a very small book. That's a really good point. Yeah. And she talks about, um, you know, how to be conservation minded, how to not trespass, how to make a line out of horse hair, how to dye horsehair line for different water conditions, how to make a rod, how to make a reel, how to make a you know, a fly. And it's just this really concise book. But in there, she also talks about baking maggots into bread and hiding them under your skirt so that you can keep them warm before you go fishing in one part. So I'm pretty sure that it was written by a woman. It sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you then decided, all right, so I'm going to do this magazine and, and 
and it's, it's about time. Yeah, it's, it's really about time. It and there are women out there that are in this sport, but we don't know about them because no one's having them tell their stories. And so when I started the magazine, I really wanted it to be empowering. I wanted to see the sport grow for women, and I wanted more women that I could fish with. It was a selfish endeavor, right? I mean, <laughs> I want to see more women out there because I want to walk into a fly shop and not hear, are you here for your boyfriend? You know, mm. or that kind of stuff, which still crazily happens today. So I, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, how do I empower people? And so our tagline is empowering women, not ignoring men. Cause you know, if you, if I speak and I'm sure if you speak, if you ask the audience, how many women out there got into fly fishing by their husband, their boyfriend, their grandfather, their dad, their son, their, you know, brother, if you ask that and you have them raise their hands, it's going to be a high percentage of it women is. that get involved in the sport because of men. And so when I got started the magazine, and was starting to write for a tight loop magazine, there were a lot of women out there, especially in my area where I lived, that were kind of man haters. And they were like, oh, men are terrible in this sport. And I thought, you know, that's not true. Maybe there's a very small vocal minority of men that give the rest of them a bad name. But we women don't get into the sport. A lot of women don't get into the sport except for some male counterpart in their life that has introduced them. So... When I wanted to empower people to pick up a fly rod, I thought, well, the way that I'm empowered is not by hearing a professional woman who, you know, like you, for instance, you know, you catch these beautiful steelhead, right, in BC, and but that doesn't make me feel like I can go out there and catch that steelhead because no. I don't have your skill level. You know, in the everyday angler, that's a great story, but that doesn't empower them to do it themselves. Whereas if I tell the story of, uh, for instance, a young woman who lives here in the Denver area whose, you know, dad asked her to fish with him and she didn't fish with him and then he died and she found his fly gear in the garage and worked through the stages of grief with her dad's fly rod. Well, that's a story all of us, man, woman, you know, we can all relate to that. Yeah, it's relatable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I don't feel like you come across as a, I don't feel like anything about you or what you do comes across as man hating. No, I, there are certain men I don't like for good yeah, reason, but I, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but I, I am not a man hater. I do not, I do not think that that any kind of that is good for our sport. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. And it's hard. You know, I remember when this whole 50 50 thing was going out, there'd be various comments of people being like, what are you talking about? There are no barriers in the sport. And then there were other women being, you know, saying, what are you talking about? There are barriers everywhere. And I, and I had so many people reaching out to me wanting me to comment on this subject. And I made the decision. I regret my decision actually to keep my mouth shut on it. Especially now that I am feeling so empowered and looking into the history of of the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you a man-hater if you believe in women's rights. You right. Know? Yes, mean, thank just, you. That's true. It means that you believe in equality. But there, look, I'm going to go on record to say there are a ton of barriers. And I mean, for me, everyone has a different story, right? I mean, maybe for somebody who got into it with their father and they were surrounded by a really supportive network of men. Maybe they haven't seen those barriers. Personally, I have had an astounding amount of barriers from that small minority of very focal men. Yeah. So it makes it, it makes it hard because everybody has such a different experience. I know that I can come across jaded sometimes and, and some women in the industry can come across jaded, but I don't get that from you. I yeah. really feel like you come into it very open-minded. I, I try to, you know, it's not always easy, but I say two things to myself every day when I wake up, I say, whose life can I make better? Right. And if you just do that, then when that person is being mean to you, you can try to be nice to them because obviously they need it. And you know, what, who am I supposed to meet today? 
And so, you know, that makes my life go in a direction that is not always expected. So if I miss my plane, I don't get upset about that. I mean, what am I going to do? Call the plane back? No, you come back here and you pick me up right now. I know I was late, but that's not my fault, you know? No, it just means that I'm supposed to meet somebody else on a different path today. And, And it opens you up to being more receptive. And then, you know... I'm old. So for well, me, I want to talk about this because yeah. you look like we were talking about this before we were rolling. You look like you are 40 years old. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> but okay, come on. Yeah, I'm 52. You, you well, would never you. believe it if you saw Jen. Thank you. All right. But thank you. it's good eye cream. <laughs> do, do you feel like you maybe don't like, like, let me just put it into perspective. I feel like as I've gotten older and the closer I get to 40, the more respect I get. I'm not that much different to when I was 20, but nobody respected me when I was in my 20s. And now in my mid to late 30s, I'm getting, I just am viewed differently. Do you feel like maybe you lose a bit of respect because people think that you are younger than you are? Maybe. I think so. But I also feel like because I'm 52 and I've lived a, a, a very diverse life and raised four children, and raised four children that I respect. I I earn respect myself. And that's something that you yourself do. If you walk into a room and you feel like you still have to prove yourself, then guess what? You're going to still have to prove yourself. If you walk into a room knowing what your own skill level is and being honest about that, right? Because there are people in the industry and in the sport that are still learning, but they put on a persona that they're maybe better than they are. I Mm, think- Especially nowadays that's happening. Especially nowadays. And I think that you just need to be real with who you are because I think you earn more respect by being- who you are and being real with who you are, you know, and, and I look at the Orvis 50, 50 and, and, you know, I had to just write, I, I mean, I had to just speak about navigating the outdoor industry as a woman for our professional outdoor media association event that they had. And they gave me the topic and I thought, well, that's a ridiculous topic. I mean, what am I supposed to say? We're here, get over it. Right. But I thought, well, just because they gave me that title means that it's still necessary. And so I sat down and I started to put my presentation together and I was listing 50, 50 on the water, which I love. It's a great initiative. But then I thought, you know what? So 50-50 has been around for a while, and the culture is changing a little, but not hugely. And I thought, well, why is that? And I started to think about the social media, because I'm sure you get this, and I get this all the time. You know, what do you think of all those people out there that have uh, 100,000 followers, and they don't even, you know, they don't even fish themselves, or they can't double haul, or whatever. And so I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I don't know that I really want 50% women in the industry just for, or in the sport just for the sake of having 50% women. Yeah, I don't want 50% women just to have 50% exactly. women. Exactly. I want, I'd rather have 35% women that are diehards, that are so involved in the sport, that want to get other people involved, that want to take people out fishing. That to me is much more important. So for me, I think it's more about respect on the water than it is 50-50 on the water. Right. You know? So how did it go? Uh, so my presentation went really well. And I'll tell you, the Poma group is, I would say, 95% hunters. They're almost all hunters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And very- What's, what's their percent right now? Because I feel like there are more women getting into hunting than A lot more. There were a lot more women there than I expected yeah. at all. Yeah. it was, And it's a media thing. So maybe it's because more women are into media. But you would think in the hunting industry, it would still be very male- male heavy, but there were a lot of women there representing the, you know, Beretta and all these different gun companies out there and hunting companies. And it was a real eye opener for me because I only upland hunt and these guys, like the woman or the young girl, actually she's a young girl who is like some long distance rifle expert. She's like 
18. She's amazing. And I was like, wait, or a high powered assault rifle is what she does. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> You're like 18. How do you do that? And why do you do that? You know, it was an interesting eye opener, but it was really well received in this POMA event. And the woman who was from POMA who sat in, she said, you know, it was interesting. I wanted to come listen to you because I thought it was going to be a bunch of whining about how we're still not treated equally and we're still blah, 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 blah. And she said, and you were like, no, guess what? This is what you need to do. This is going to be a positive presentation. We're not going to talk about what happens in the fly shop unless it's something that's positive, you know, and I, you walk in and you own it. And, you know, that's why I do this history of women in fly fishing, because I want women to know they belong in the river. They belong in a fly shop. You have a first foundation to stand on. Fly fishing would not be what it is today if it wasn't for women who have come along and made changes in the sport. You just said something really interesting about not talking about what happens in the fly shop. Uh-huh. Okay. So what do you feel the general vibe is in fly shops? I think the general vibe in fly shops is changing. I think there's been a lot of education and it's changing. The first time I walked into a fly shop to buy flies, it was that whole, oh, are you here for something for your husband? Nope, I'm not married. Oh, for your boyfriend? Nope, don't have one of them. Oh, for your son? No, I'm here for me. Oh, and then they didn't know what to do with you, right? Because it was like a man walking into a fabric store. You know, it was the same kind of thing. So you were like this odd commodity and they didn't know if they should say something, if they shouldn't say something, if they should help you. And then you get the guy who was over patronizing, right? It was like, oh, well, you probably want this pink fly rod right here. And I'm like, oh, no, I do not want that pink fly rod. Do you think that the shops are most polarizing, though? Because now when I when I think of areas or platforms for people to gather and communicate, I think fly shops, on the water, lodge environments, social media, trade shows. Do you think that fly shops are the most polarizing of all of those venues? Hmm. Because that's the one I hear people mention the most. I don't hear people saying, you know, oh, on the, I mean, I hear some people complain about on the water. I hear some people complain about at the shows, Mm -hmm. but I hear a lot of people complain about in the fly shop. And I think it's not that it's the most polarizing. I think that that's where people spend their most time. Mm. You know, so when you're on the river, yeah, there's that guy who low holds you or whatever and or says something to you about being a woman. But that's not you don't fish as often on the river as you spend in the fly shop. You spend a lot of time in the fly shop. And I think, too, it's geographical. So maybe here in Denver, where they're very accepting and they see a lot more outdoor women, it's not as polarizing for a woman to be in the shop as it is, say, in Chicago, you know, where's where I went to my first fly shop apart from Colton Bay in Michigan and, and had that experience, you know? So I think it depends on the shop itself. It depends Mm -hmm. on where you are. And I think that it just seems to be more polarizing because you have more dialogue in that area. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Is there anything else about the magazine that you want to mention? Yeah. You know, so for the magazine, I think, you know, 40% of our readers are male and because they're just really great stories. It's very photo heavy. You know, it's funny to watch the demographics on our online magazine because, you know, we have stuff on our magazine and we can kind of see like how long people stay on each page. And especially when we had the page turning app, you could see like you knew the guys that were just looking to see if it was a bunch of chicks in bikinis because they would just page right through as opposed to people that would spend time reading the articles or actually study the photos. But I love our magazine because it's all everyday women that write. Yeah. So they tell their stories and everyone has a story. Everyone has a fly fishing story or has had something happen to them on the water that they want other people to know about. Or And I like the fact that they're not professional writers for the most part because 
it's harder to edit a story that way. It's more work for us, but it's more interesting. You're not going to see the same regurgitated story that you see in every magazine out there. Yeah, the same writers, the same story. It is regurgitated. It is, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about is this whole bikini thing. Uh-huh. Okay, good. <laughs> because <laughs> you had reached out to me after you listened to the Dar Sizzle I did. episode and you had some bones to pick about it. Thank God, because I was waiting for someone to challenge me on it. <laughs> I was amazed how many people let things slide in that interview. I was shocked that more people didn't say something because I found it offensive. Yeah, there was a lot of offensive stuff that went down in there. And I mean, maybe, look, I had to really tiptoe, yeah. ob- obviously, because I had somebody, they already had their foot halfway out the door. Just I read the comments and I couldn't believe the things and the sound bites that people let slide. So can we talk about that? Yes, we absolutely can. Okay, so why don't we start out by just kind of giving... The listener, an idea. I'd, I had podcasted a gal in who fishes in a bikini, and to give her credit, she's not the she's not one of the ones who is on Patreon selling you know lingerie try-ons or any of that Vicky Stark stuff. I mean, she really does fish, but she really played down her um, motive. I feel that she played down her motive. And I do have to say her her boyfriend, who is her manager, had been listening from the other room and he was literally standing over her. Look, and they're lovely people. But he was standing over her to the point where I was like, okay, this is uncomfortable. Brian, just come on, just sit down and pick up a microphone because I can't interview with you looming over top of her. Yeah. Um, so he sat down and I just felt like there was a lot of hypocrisy that went down. A lot. Yeah. So much. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. And, and look, just... I loved Darcy and I feel like she does have the best intentions. I don't know who does that marketing, but I, so I don't want to talk about her intentions. I right. want to talk about the marketer's intentions. Right. Because that's where I felt like most of the hypocrisy was coming. Yeah. You from. know, for me, I felt like I don't care if you fish in a bikini. I know that that area down there, especially in Florida, if it's a hundred degrees out, I'm going to jump in the water and I can wear a bikini. Well, not anymore, but I used to be able to wear a bikini, you know? And so that's fine. I don't care what you fish in. Just own that. That's the part that I had an issue with because I felt like it was downplayed. It was like speaking out of both sides of the mouth kind of thing. Like, well, no, we're not just doing it in a bikini just to get likes, but the more likes we get, the more money we make, you know? And so fine. That's fine. If that's what you're doing, that's great. Just own that. I was, I was, I actually found myself and a lot of people reached out to me about that and said, you need to listen to this. You need to listen to this. And I found it, uh, offensive. I felt bad 
for Darcy. I really did. Because I felt like, why is this man talking over her? Why is he steering her in this way? Or like the, the, the very end where I said, you know, have you guys thought about getting into trout fishing? And they're like, the demographic, the market is in fly fishing for trout. So that's what we're going to start doing. Yes. And I had run out of time. And I really want, and, and I had also run out of their patience yeah. and I really wanted to be like, well, if you're not doing it for X, Y, and Z, then why are you coming into a market that you're not even passionate about right. just to gain exposure? And I think one person commented on that to me wow. um, and it was privately. And I, and I said to him, and because his comment was very, very, uh, it was an intelligent comment. And I said, why don't you put that up on social media? And he said, I, I, I just, I, I'd rather keep this private. Mm-hmm. But publicly, nobody wanted to air their comments, but I was getting private messages. I think that that's out of respect for you, though. Not out of, re- not, oh, not because of them. Yeah. I think, no, you, were, you know I, what? You're right. I you're DM'd right. you because I respect you in the industry. And that's why I was like, hey, I, you know, <laughs> what's going on here as opposed to blasting someone. And, you know, it doesn't do Darcy any good either. She is a really good, legitimate angler. She is. Why would you downplay that? And if you want to fish in a bikini because you want to get more likes and that's how you make your money and you're making good money at that, that's fine. But don't try to say it's not that because it's really obvious that's what that is. And that's cool. But just do it then. You know, like you, you talked about the, the fish bra thing and she said, oh, no, I didn't I didn't do any of that. And then I immediately went to her Instagram and looked up fish bra and there it was. And I'm like, really, why would you lie about that? Why would you or why would you downplay something that people can verify? That's craziness, you know. So it was an it was an interesting interview i found i i was really really offended by her boyfriend so what what would you have asked in that interview i thought you asked exactly what you should have asked i thought it was great i I felt bad that you had to tiptoe around i I could tell that you had to tiptoe around and that was part of the thing that to be real honest i was a little disappointed with because i i know you and i and i think I like the fact that you go at it. And I, but now that you say that they were already almost on their way out, that makes more sense because you could hesitate. I could see you hesitating. Like you wanted to say something and you wanted to go at it because you asked really great questions. You were like, Oh, wait, that's, that's the, the rub right there. Wait, are you doing this for this reason? And then they were like, No. And you're like, Really? Yeah. Really? No, because I, <laughs> I know that they had thought, like I had to push, I had to be really pushy for that interview. And I had already reached out to other women to discuss the mm-hmm. same topic. But, to be fair, I mean, Darcy is, when I think of an angler, I think of, I think of Darcy. I don't think of her as a lingerie model, but I reached out to some of the lingerie fishing girls as well, and nobody would respond to me. And Darcy was so nice and she got back to me, but I definitely had to be very pushy to get the interview. Yeah. And then uh, I could tell the entire vibe changed when we sat down and she realized, oh, April's not here <laughs> to talk to me about my fishing. She's here to talk to me about bikinis. And that was when he came out and I could feel that at any time the rug was going to get pulled mm-hmm. out from under me. Mm-hmm. And he would have done that. No doubt. Yeah. yeah Cause it, you know, probably, I, yeah. and I hope, you know, if they're listening, I hope that this brought them um, some good exposure. Like I, I did get a lot of comments from people saying I totally misunderstood her. And now I definitely feel like I get a better um, mm. feeling for who she is mm-hmm. and I respect her. So I hope that, that she did get some positive results, but I, feel like it is a topic that I haven't found the right person to discuss with yet. And I thought maybe you yeah. might have some good insight. Yeah. You know, for me, I mean, I don't care. I, and you know, in, in, especially in the fly fishing culture where you're talking about keeping the fish wet all the time. I mean, if you're out there, like I fish on Kentucky Lake, it's really hot. I fish in a swimsuit 
at times because with a tank top over it. But if it's a hundred degrees out, I'm going to jump in the water and then I'm going to get back in my boat. And if I see fish blowing up, I'm going to get on the boat fast and I'm going to pick up my rod and I'm going to cast. And if I catch a fish and I happen to be wearing a tank top or a bikini top, I'm not going to Oh, wait, could you hold the fish in the net for a while so I can put my shirt on so that, you know, I can take a picture so that people can be legitimate about it, you know, think I'm a legitimate angler? Because what you wear does not have anything to do with how you fish, and it shouldn't. No one ever, you know, people say it all the time, but nobody ever thinks twice about a dude with no shirt on on the boat. Okay, listen, I'm going to say something and get myself in trouble here, and I'm not even going to let my husband listen to this before I air because <laughs> he'll get so mad at me. I fish topless all the time. Yeah. and And I do it because... Yes, I'm sun conscious. And as I get older, I definitely am a lot more aware of my skin. So maybe it's been a while since I fished topless, but even just a few years back, I'd be in Australia. I'd want to have 15 minutes of vitamin, whatever D. It is, D. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. I, you know, I'd want to have a, you know, just a, an all over bit of a glow and I'd be out with Charles and I'd fish topless. Why not? And. If I got a fish, I just simply didn't take a picture right, of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm not against, like, I'm not one of those women who is against fishing in next to nothing. I do it myself. Right. But I don't feel the need to air it. Now, right. if that's, that's just my own personal preference. Is there, is there anything wrong with posting a picture that is half naked? What are your thoughts on that? Unfortunately, I think that. In today's fly fishing culture, you're not going to get the respect that you deserve if you do that. You know, does that mean that you need to look like a nun? No, of course not. You know, why would you? I just say it all comes down to re being real. That's what I want to see. That's why our magazine is about real women, right? Because this is a real sport. And if you love to do it, I don't care if you're good at it, if you're bad at it, if you wear nothing, if you wear the full Orvis suit, it doesn't matter to me. Just be who you are and own and that. Own it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just own it. I think that's what it comes down to for me. Like if I post, and I have done this before, especially when I was younger, if I posted a picture in a, I'm trying to think if it was ever in a bikini. Yeah. I think I've posted a couple, yeah, no, there's a couple of photos out there with, with me in a bikini and I posted them because the fish looked great, but also because I looked hot. Yeah. And what's wrong with that? So what? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, but I wasn't trying to sell sex. I was just fishing in a bikini and I chose to post a photo because the fish is impressive and I look great. Right. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And the older I get, the more I look back at myself and, and, and want those photos out there because I do look nice. Right. Um, I don't look like that anymore. You know what I mean? And, and <laughs> you it, still look the same. <laughs> nah, nah. But you know, you know who put it into perspective for me was Joan. You know, when mm. I podcasted Joan, she was saying that she looks back at those beautiful photos of her in the tube top or halter top or whatever it was mm -hmm. in the, in the shorts. And you know, you could see this look across her face of just real appreciation for how beautiful she was. And she's proud of those photos. Right. And exactly. she should be. Well, and what's the difference? Let's just talk about that for a second, because what's the difference? You know, there are those photos of Joan out there with pigtails blowing on a fly and in her ball gown casting. And what a fantastic angler. I mean, she is obviously legendary. just the most... Yes, legendary. But back in the day, that's like the era of the mad, mad men, right? I mean, that's what the marketing people did. And so what's the difference to... In today's society, you know, we have a whole generation that has grown up with nothing but a phone in their face. They have done everything online, which is not the way I was raised. No. And I have a friend who is, uh, who studies the millennial generation. And he said something really interesting. He said that you can scientifically prove that the millennial generation, because of the online experience, has a disconnect between who they are 
and what they do. Yes. Okay. Right. right. Elaborate. Okay. So if you think about that, we give the younger generation that's out there fishing in whatever, right? We give them such, or putting on makeup or doing their hair or whatever. And, you know, we give them such a hard time when they take a picture as a woman, a young woman doing that. But you forget that these girls have grown <clears throat> up this way. When I was in school, I knew that I was popular because I was a cheerleader. They know they're popular because they get a thousand likes on a photo. That is not really them. It's something that they're portraying. And so I ask, you know, what is the difference? We give all the respect to Joan in a, in a tube top and short shorts and pigtails and in a ball gown. And we should. And yet we don't give that same respect to the young girls who have grown up with a phone camera in their face. Oh, that is so interesting. Right? Because I will be honest, it's always been a real sensitive subject for me mm-hmm. because even if there's a picture of, like, there's a picture of me in, uh, people think it's a bikini, it's not. It's a halter top bent over. And on that picture, it's, I'm talking about the one on, I'm in like a white halter top bent over yeah. with Are the fish. Are you blonde? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm also on crutches. Which nobody knows. Like, I'm very proud of that photo because it was right after my car accident on the Thompson. I'm fishing the Thompson on crutches. What you can't see is that my crutches are literally floating downstream to get that (laughs) photograph. But I was always really offended because that photo, there's nothing wrong. There's no nip slips. There's nothing wrong about that photo. I'm just bent over because I am on crutches and I have a fish in my hand Uh that I'm keeping close to the water. But I used to get blasted about that photo. But then I'd see Joan looking all sexy in her outfit. And I never understood what I was doing. I wasn't, I can, I could tell you right now, I was not selling sex in that photo. Right. And it's not my fault that you find it sexy or that when I bend over, you can, that my boobs droop down. Like, I'm sorry that I have them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do? Tape them back up. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I just, I never, it was always a sensitive subject for me that I got blasted and other women didn't. Right. And how sad that you even have to think about that when you're trying to catch, you know, when you've caught this beautiful fish, that shouldn't be what you're thinking about. The fact that, oh my God, maybe somebody is going to find this offensive. Because right. Well, I and have- I wasn't thinking that when yeah. I took the photo. I, uh, to be fair, I, I, I remember when I posted it on, it would have been Facebook way back in the day. It's, that was in 2008, that photo. Cause it was, yeah, it was right after my accident. And I remember a good friend of mine, actually my boss, at the time when I was guiding had called me and said, you shouldn't have that photo on the internet. And I was like, I'll just leave it up for a bit. I'll take it down. That was before I realized that you can't, it's impossible. Yeah. Once you take, once you put <laughs> once it's up, up there, yeah. Yeah. You can't take it down. But so why, why is it okay though for back, you know, for Joan to be in a tube top? Is it about intention why? and what we're trying to sell? Uh, and then that's my next thing. You know, I had somebody else say to me, well, when you're tying your fly and there's a video, I think I'm in a fly shop in Germany tying a fly. And it's just like, if, if you were to come and film me tomorrow tying a fly, it was shot exactly the same way. And it was at, in a show setting. I was super professional, but you know, you focus on the fly, but you can see my mouth. And somebody had said to me, someone I respect had said to me, but the problem is, is that we we're so busy looking at your mouth. Like, why do your, why does your mouth have to be in it? And it's like, are we, are we in like handmaid's tales day was where you guys want my mouth covered at this point? Why is it my fault that you are attracted or your eyes are focused on my mouth. It's not. Instead of the fly. But Ed Ward is next to me tying. You know, he's not really, but he could be. And you guys aren't focused on his, you know, right. stubbly lip. Yeah. <laughs> Why are yeah. you focused on mine? Exactly. It has nothing to do with you. And I don't feel like I should have to hide those things. So, I mean, if I was going to bring this all back to Darcy, I would, I would say that 
you know, the same goes for her. She shouldn't feel like she has to hide who she is as a person. But it's when you say to me that you're not using the photos of your ass as the thumbnail, but now that I, like, I'm pretty new to YouTube and I've been um, toying around with just trying to understand thumbnails. So when I look at Darcy's thumb, thumbnails, I see a bunch of ass shots. So there is there is just a major amount of hypocrisy. That's there. the part that I don't like, really. It really is. You know? So what do you think about, like, let's talk about, you know, you had said a woman wouldn't necessarily be taken seriously or she'd lose some respect. So what if tomorrow I moved full-time to Australia mm-hmm. and decided that, you know, I only live for X amount of, you know, but I don't live forever. I'm just going to get this suntan while I can. And mm-hmm. I suddenly tomorrow started only fishing in bathing suits. Mm-hmm. What do you think would happen? Do you think people would be like, oh, she's just trying to sell sex? Do you think yeah. I'd lose any credibility? I think people, I think that you would lose credibility. Not from me, because I know you're not from the people in the industry that know you. But I think that... And, and I won't I won't be. like <laughs> For the record, I'm like 30 pounds on and just it's not happening. But I'm fascinated yeah. at, the, at the thought of it. Yeah. I, I think that that's a shame, but I think that you probably would lose credibility. You'd gain a lot of followers. But you'd lose oh, a lot of credibility. Oh, see, that, that's what it comes down to. Because you just like threw me for a second there when you said I'd gain a lot of followers. But you're right. So people would assume that I was doing it to get followers. Right. Which is a whole nother discussion. Right. About intention. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Followers. Uh-huh. See, that's a new thing for me to get my head wrapped around as well. Yeah. I'm one of those people who I've got the Insta tracker. Mm-hmm. And because now, let's be honest, you need to have social following these days uh, for a number of reasons, but especially with companies, if you want to work with them, they want to see that. Right. And I get really excited every time that I see my following plummet because it always plummets when I've either posted a picture of Adelaide or usually something that's intelligent. Or, or something or, about your husband. Or, yep, right, something yep. about my husband and my following goes, or foraging uh-huh. or hunting even, <laughs> and my following plummets. And I get really excited by that because... It's a cult. I love, and I do it often. If you, if you, now that people know this, they can watch for it on my social media. I call people all the time because I want those idiots off of there. I don't want you watching me for that because you may have started following me because you remember me as a 25 year old, you know, sex, whatever right. they sex, sex symbol, symbol or whatever. Yeah. That is not who I ever was and not who I am. I want you off my page. Yep. So I do a call and I can't wrap my head around this whole doing things for followers today. Do you think we're in a real dangerous position where people new, especially new to the industry, feel like they have to have a following? For sure. In fact, it's interesting the number of women who have said to me, you know, oh, I really want to get into fly fishing. How do I get into the industry? And you've never even picked up a fly rod and you want to be in the fly fishing oh, industry. Did you get that? Yeah. And, oh. and I say to them, you're doing it all wrong. Yeah. Well, how did you get into the industry? I said, I fell in love with the sport. Yeah. And then the, I just fell into magazine, doing the magazine. I mean, do you think this was a good career choice for me? <laughs> this is not a good <laughs> career choice, anything. right? Yeah. Fly fishing, you don't make any money in fly fishing, you yeah. know? And so I think that it's a dangerous place for people, you know, who are legitimate, who want to get into the industry. And it, that just happens organically. You shouldn't just, you know, say, all right, I'm just going to pick up a fly rod so that I can get into the industry because I want free stuff. That's this is bullshit. Men, men and women. Men and women. Yeah, for sure. Why do you, so is that what you think it's for? They want to get in for free stuff? I think they want to be on pro programs. I think they want to be ambassadors. I think they want free stuff. But why? I mean, there's so many other things that you can do and, and achieve that status. Yeah. I don't know why. I, if I was going to do it again, I mean, I love to fish. That's why I'm here. But I wouldn't necessarily be like, hey, this is what I'm going to go after to make money and 
support myself. You know, it's yeah, not, I think no, it's all the, not for money. I mean, no. I, I, I yeah. had done anything right. Right. Looking back now, you yeah. could have done anything. Like I think I'm in this industry quite by accident. Me too. I would do it again because I love my lifestyle and I love that I can show my daughter the things that I know, but I wouldn't have chose this career to make money. No, me neither. That's exactly why you do it for the lifestyle. And maybe that's why they're out there wanting to pursue it because we portray the lifestyle, which is a fantastic lifestyle. Everybody wants our lifestyle. Yeah. And so you do that by, you get into the lifestyle by becoming a pro or by becoming an ambassador or getting your a fly rod that's, you know, from a, a manufacturer that you respect and then posting about it all the time, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just using that and having other people that you teach and get into the sport, see the gear that you have, the gear that you love, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm all about getting out there. I do the outside magazine women's fly fishing kit. I, I do that because I only put gear on there that I absolutely love and that I think people would love and uh, that supports a lifestyle that is fly fishing for me. That's my lifestyle. But it's not something that I said, I'm just going to, I want to get into that. I want to get into fly fishing because I want to live that lifestyle. How do you, speaking of lifestyle, how do you handle a relationship with a fellow industry person? Um, hmm. Well, I've had a couple of them. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm a really strong woman. And I think that there are a lot of men out there that say they want a strong woman. Oh, yeah. A, no, no, they, they just don't. don't. Because once they get you and you're independent, they're like, no, no, no. no. You know, People I, are always like, oh, your husband's so lucky. And he, he and I both just look at each other and go, nope. nope. <laughs> right. It's hard. It is hard. Especially is two hard. alphas. Yeah. I, mean, I know mine's oh, an alpha. Is yours? No, yours isn't. No. Uh-uh. And so I think that the relationship that I have now works because... I'm the very strong personality and he's not at all. He's so sweet, huh? Yeah. He's, he's, he's a really good person. And I've dated a lot of people that were the, um, the really high and the really low, like they're really, you know, they're the, the forefront guys who are just always on. And then, you know, but then they'd have those really lows and they'd be really angry or they'd be really happy. And, and he is just an even keeled person. He never gets too happy, never gets too sad. And, you know, to be real honest, sometimes that doesn't work for me, but you know, it is, it is what it is. And, and he's just the nicest person I've ever met. But is it he's hard? Super smart. Two people. I mean, even because I was always in the same position as you. I needed someone who fished, but for no other reason other just I didn't want the drama. I got sick to death of being my phone being blown up. I was in a relationship and I went for like I think I was gone for forty five days. Yeah. And he, if that was a man who did, I mean, he fished and he still was so resentful. We actually that relationship didn't work because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least for the first like fifteen days, he understood that I was gone. Right. But guys who, when I used to date guys who didn't fish, it just didn't work. Right. And now I think I found. I mean, I I'm married now, but I think I found a bit of a balance. I found someone who wasn't in the industry who does still fish, but we spend most of our fishing trips not fishing together. Like I fish with my crew, and he fishes with his crew. And when we fish together, we try not to kill each other. But I, if we had to work in the same industry as well, yeah. Jesus, like, don't that's think, hard. Yeah. Don't you think that that's healthy though, to have two separate lives, to be independent, both of you independent, both of you in a respectful relationship that when you actually come together and do something together, then it's just beneficial. It's not that, you know, if you have one that's really passive and one that's, you know, not and that sometimes doesn't work, but I think yeah, it's my healthy. last my last one was like that. I my ex my ex before Charles um, is still a very very good friend of mine, and he's super passive, 
and we just I couldn't see past it. Yeah, and it was very hard to make it work. I probably fought a lot. We didn't fight at all. He was the easiest person in the world to get along with, mm-hmm. but it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. And I think that you know, women are such a big thing in the industry now that it's it's easy for men to be resentful. Like, well, you're just you're just you know, Here ambassador because, because yeah. you're a woman, yeah. not because, and you know, the, there are a lot of men that are much better anglers than I am, you know, and they have it harder because there's a lot more of them than there are women. And so, it works both ways though, because there's a lot of men that I'm a way better angler than as well. And they, they get, they're called legends. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I'm on the river fishing with them and I'm like, you're, you're a legend and I'm getting grief about having, you know, a collapsed sink tip at the end of this cast. Exactly. Exactly. It's, right. It so doesn't it, work. It does work both ways, but you're right. There's a major, there's a lot of resentment. Yeah. There is a lot of resentment. And, and, you know, and I think that it's hard. I find that there's a very small percentage of men out there that are okay with a woman who spends her day with other men. And I do. Oh, you're talking about relationships. Yes, relationships. Yeah, of I do. I spent, yeah. you know, I, and in the industry, right? So I'm comfortable with men. In fact, a lot of times I'm more comfortable with men than I am with some women, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just feel like the resentment comes because they, they don't have the, the communication skills to be out there in front and they're jealous of what you're doing and they didn't think about it, it doing it first. So there's that, but it comes with men and women. I think in the industry, you know, I think as more women get into the industry, I'd like to say that this isn't going to be true, but I hope that it doesn't become this cat fight where, you know, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, be nice to you because, well, I'm looking for that ambassador position instead of you. And for me, I'm not on an ambassador programs. I was an ambassador for Winston and I, I went with Winston, um, because they had an, you know, Annette McLean. And I thought, wow, any rod company that can have a woman as their head rod builder for so long, I can get behind that. But since then I've, you know, as, which is so downplayed by the way, it is, it she is the most understated insane. person ever. It's so amazing. Yeah. But for me, I feel like, you know, I, as a magazine, a lot of people, they confuse my personal fishing with done magazine. So for me, I, I can't have any ambassadorships because I want to promote the best gear that's out there. And sometimes it's from Patagonia. And sometimes it's from Orvis and sometimes it's from Sims and sometimes it's a Winston and sometimes it's an Orvis rod, you know? So for me, you know, those ambassadors, I think anybody that really gets into the industry is going to realize that the ambassador programs that they're fighting for and the pro deals that they're fighting for aren't always that big of a deal. You know, they're not something that you should be going for. I mean, this isn't something to attain. This is something that you get because you love it. And you love that product or, you know, so let me just settle into the, for this conversation. <laughs> okay. So yeah, one of the things in this book is she talks about the amount of women who, the percentage of women who should be included in boards. Mm-hmm. And actually it made me even look at my podcast schedule this trip differently. And I made it, I think I've got 40, 60. I think I've got 40% women. I think I've got 13 podcasts, 40% women, 60% men. And she's saying the same thing. You know, you need to have a higher percent of women in boardrooms or at least be going out of your way to put more women on. Mm -hmm. And it does cause resentment because people say, well, you're just there because you're a woman. Yes. But one of the points that she makes and one of the points I'm going to make, because I mean, like I said, with the woman I've invited on the show, you're not, Jen, you're not here because you have a vagina. That's right. not why you're yeah, sitting here, God. right? Like, <laughs> you're here for other reasons. Right. It's just because you're there because you're a woman doesn't mean you don't deserve to be there. Right. It just means that someone's made a cognizant or a deliberate effort to try to be more inclusive in their choices. Right. 
And I don't think that should be something that's offensive. Well, and it's interesting because when I, I used to work at the Rush Presbyterian, which was a big hospital in Chicago, when I was first out of my, getting my first job, and there was an African-American doctor, brilliant anesthesiologist there, and he said to me one time, and I never forgot it, he said, affirmative action was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And I thought that was so weird. You know, I came from a small town in Wisconsin that was all white, you know, and I was like, what? And he said, yeah, he said, you know, if the chairman position came up, I know I'm the most qualified for that position, but if I were to apply and get that position, people would think I only got it because I was black. That's right. And it is the same thing now. Exactly right? the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It hasn't changed. Have you watched that show with um, Mindy Kaling? Uh-uh. The late night one? No, I never watched TV. It's, I'm so terrible it's right. at that. It's a, it's a movie and I watched it on the airplane on the way here. And she, the guy sitting next to me must have just thought I was something else because I'm reading, you know, the guilty feminist next to him and I'm watching this movie, you know, well, to be fair, I guess I am a feminist. And she has the same struggle that she's only there because she's an Indian woman. Oh. And the whole movie is her showing, I'm not here because of that. I'm here because I'm really, really good. Or like you might get your opening because of that. But you stay because you're really, because you're right. really great. Yeah. As far as women getting, what did you call it? Catfight? A cat fight, yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing that I've been doing a lot of reading it. Because I remember even, this is embarrassing, but I'm just doing full disclosure here while I'm sitting with you. <laughs> I remember being in my early 20s and trying to map out where my career was going to go. And actually, I'm really, really, really like humiliated by this now looking back. Because I remember thinking that there was just a small, there was only space for a couple of us. And certainly not space for any of us from the mm-hmm. same place. Mm-hmm. And... Being in competition with my best friend now, Adrian Camo, we were both in competition with each other. And I think that's one of the reasons why today she's so withdrawn and, and not wanting to be out there because I think the whole thing really put her off as it would. It's mm-hmm. embarrassing. It's, it was really bad. And I remember being on the river with Kate Taylor and she was, start, she had her rogue angels thing going on. I had flag out and there was just this really weird vibe and Kate's super cool. She wasn't having any of it, but we didn't feel. And even Kate, sorry, Kate, don't get mad. But even it did feel like at the time there was a limited amount of space for us. There was. Yeah. And even like there was another female in the area who had started a fly fishing website not that long ago. Just I think it was four years ago I'd reached out to her to say, let's collab. And she said, look, I'm really sorry. I can't collab with you because people are already confused. They already think that you and I are running like running the same websites. Our websites get confused. And just so that it's clear that our brands are totally separate, I can't have any affiliation with you. Wow. We need to look at each other and realize that there is space for all of us. And I can say that if Adrian today went down the exact same path as me, not only would we both have had a spot, we could be holding hands together and just kicking ass. Right. And it's one of my biggest regrets, actually, looking back now. Good on you for admitting that. But we need to do that. Yeah. We need to do that. I do find that a lot of the women, uh, that's what I love about it. So when I used to work at a tight loop magazine, I dealt with all the male authors, and it was like 99% male authors. And then Dunn Magazine is 99% female authors. And I always say the difference is, you know, and I may have said this to you when we were together the last time, but the difference to me between dealing with 
those two magazines is like you having a baby. And I say to you, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. And look at all that hair. And oh my gosh, she's so, you know, what is she wearing? And how big was she? Those are the done authors, the 99% female authors. The male authors for Tight Loop Magazine were like, my baby's bigger than your baby. My baby has more hair than your baby, you know? And it was, it was really interesting to see. And I love my, working with my authors and the women in the industry because to this, at this point, it is so inclusive. You know, now, I mean, we have to ban together as women. We have to work together. We have to network. And women are excellent networkers. You know, you have Heather Hudson from United Women on the Fly who just connects women all over in the industry and has done a great job, you know, growing these groups in different states. And and so I think that that's that's the way that we grow our sport. That's the way that we get more people involved. They want to be involved when it's an inclusive sport. And, you know, we're in fly fishing. Fly fishing is, is supposed to be fun, right? It's fishing. It's supposed to be fun. And yet I find that there's such a difference between like a conventional anglers and fly anglers, you know, fly anglers can tend to be very exclusive. You know, we say, oh no, I would never fish with gear, you know, but whereas a gear angler, if a fly rod is just a way for him to catch another fish, he will gladly pick up a fly rod and use it. And I think that as a sport, instead of trying to be so elitist and so exclusive, we need to be more inclusive. And I hope that women are going to lead that charge. They are at this point. I just hope it doesn't get to the point where we're, we're vying for the wrong things, for the yeah. ambassador positions, for the pro positions, and we're not looking at the sport as a way for us to be more networked and more connected. Yeah, absolutely. And just in thinking about that too, you know, social media has changed that because I know back then when we were vying for a place, it was because it was before social media. So it was at a time when the places we were fighting for were instructor roles and speaker roles. So it, it, the competition was real. If a fly mm-hmm. club was going to bring in their one woman that they, you know, yeah. allowance per year, there was a competition. Uh, whether it was right or wrong doesn't matter. There was only one, one or mm-hmm. there were, were a handful of spaces. And same with running, being an instructor and running women's only schools. If social media exists at the level it does today back then, I'm positive it would have been an entirely different conversation with Adrian. For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's just, it's so funny looking at it now. What does Taylor Swift say? We all have crowns or don't step on our gowns, yeah, whatever yeah, her new right, song yeah. is, right? Like we do all have crowns and we do need to realize that just because you're a queen doesn't mean I can't be one too. We don't live in the dark ages. We're not beheading people. Right. You know? Exactly. So yeah, good yeah point. No, we can, we can band together mm-hmm. and the guys are getting it too, though. They get, they get shit on too, don't they? They do. Yeah, they but do. they're also chasing after these ambassador roles. It's just so silly when you look at it as somebody who does have those ambassador positions. It, it just seems so irrelevant. You look at it, it now does. and you're like, you guys are fighting for that? Or you guys are trying, you're, you're devoting your whole life to that? Right. Why? Right. Exactly. Exactly. As someone on the other side of the, the fence, you look at that and you think that is just such small potatoes compared to what you could be doing with mm-hmm. your life. So what are you going to do with your life? What's next for you? Oh, man. So I joined forces, done joins forces with Heather Hudson from United Women on the Fly, and we do the Rip and Hoppers Adventure Road Trip. Oh, what's that? Uh, it's really cool. So it was a kind of a brainchild that I had always wanted to kind of do a road trip. And then at the Denver Fly Show a year and a half ago or so, I met up with Heather, and she had written for us, and I 
felt like I knew her, but I had never met her She's in great. person. Yeah. And so I met her in person and we were just like, you know, oh my God, I love you. You know, we both have Russian mothers and we're both little tiny short blonde things. Right. And so, <laughs> and, um, we're just both outspoken. And, and so I was like, we should do a road trip together. And she was like, yeah. So our first road trip was last summer and it was from, uh, Nashville to Craig, Montana. And we had five different events at different locations along the route. And we, joined women. We had big women's events where women could come either fly in or they could go with us on the journey to the next spot. And we just did these five events. And then this year we're doing um, a red, what we call the Redfish Roadie that starts on Sunday. And we are going to go through three spots in Florida with big uh, women are flying in from all over to fish with us and local women are coming out. And then we're having community events at first one in Homosassa, Florida, then the second one in Naples and the third one in uh, Stewart, Florida. And then we go to New Orleans for Halloween. Our last event is in New Orleans for Halloween. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. This year? That's this year. It starts on Sunday. Can it's people a, still sign up? They can. Yeah. It's been super fun. And this year, the FFI is our title sponsor. So they sponsored all four of our events. And so we're doing the bronze casting certification there. So if you want to come out and just for fun, do the bronze casting, we can certify you. And it's just going to be really fun. We have a lot of women coming from all over the place. And then our, our events, our community events are actually co-ed. So the fishing part is all women. We're just, we hired local guides because we like to shop small in all of these different areas. And we've hooked up with the local fly fishing groups that are there, like New Orleans fly fishers and that kind of stuff. And uh, so they're going to come out. And then, you know, because there'll be a lot of local people at the community level, and this is a great way for the community to be like, hey, I want to try that. And then we could plug them right into their local chapters, their local community, because that's how you keep people in the sport. We can get people to come to the first event, but do you keep them in? That's the big important part. And I think it's by connecting them with someone that they can call and say, hey, where are you guys going to fish? Or, hey, can I fish with you? That's what keeps them. I love it. Yeah. And you're going to do that every year? Every year. All right. Um, anything else about the magazine happening in future that you want to promote? I think that the magazine, you know, we, we are in already a couple of bookstores. We're in like the Barnes and Nobles and the Books a Million and Orvis has picked us up. How much I, is one of those things? Uh, $20. Okay, they're expensive. They are. They are expensive. They're big and oversized, and they're like what they call a bookazine. It's not something you would just toss away. We do offer subscriptions as well. So a subscription online is for four magazines is uh, forty dollars. So it's half off the cover price. Oh wow! All four for. Yeah, 40 bucks. for 40 bucks. Oh, well, that's an excellent way to do it. Right? Does that include postage as well? It does. No way. Yes. How do you make that work? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a stretch. Cause that, I mean, that's 10 bucks. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how does that work financially? Well, you have to print a lot of magazines. The more magazines you print, oh, the better. cheaper they yeah. are. Yeah. So uh -huh. subscribe, you guys. Yeah. Subscribe. Do you deliver to Canada? Yes. Yeah, you do. You do. Okay. Oh, how do you manage that with Post-it? Yeah. The, well, we send it from our printer and so it's cheaper because they have bulk printing. Okay. It's where, where we get killed and, and it's something that we factored into our pricing is where we get killed is, you know, if you buy a single subscription and then we have to ship it to Canada that or Australia or, you know, New Zealand or all these other China, you know, then, then that kind of kills us. But single you know, we subscription all, or like a single, a single, a single magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Cause that doesn't come from our printer. Then we have to mail that out ourselves. But you know, we have, we have, a lot of uh, support from our sponsors as well. You know, uh, the big companies have started to buy ads in the magazine, you know, and that was always surprising to me that they didn't because I'm like, it's the only woman's fly fishing magazine in existence. Why wouldn't you buy an ad in it? Because the you... market's not there. Did you get blowback for that? Oh yeah, for sure. You and know, they were they... honest with you about it? Uh, well, you know what? I think it was, they weren't completely honest and I wish they would be because then that's the only way that I know to gain, you know, to meet what they want. But I think what it is 
and and it's probably not just localized to fly fishing. It is in any ad support, the person who's buying the ad, let's say that you're Patagonia and you sell ads to the Drake magazine. I'm just using those as examples. Well, you know, Tom, who I love, you know, Tom and Tom invites you to go out on it to his ranch every year. And so you're not really, even if you can prove that it, your ad would be more successful in my magazine, you're not going to take money away from your friend to put it into somewhere else. It's, it's all about relationships. Yeah. And okay. I think it's about longevity too. And, you know, so the magazine has been around for a long time now. People know about it. They see the quality. They've heard about it over and over. Now advertisers, and I don't blame them, are more apt to jump on the bandwagon. And, you know, we need that support. So we like that they they are recognizing that the female angler as a legitimate angler. Yeah. Because so. we are. We are. Yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> um, okay. Is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me that I've missed? Mm, no. I think that I like the fact that you're no nonsense. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate, appreciate you didn't that. have a foot out the door. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you I appreciate that you brought that up because I think it's it's hitting full force, getting down to what the realness is. And I'm a real person, you know, I think on the afterboard, sometimes they don't appreciate me because I, I can be a bitch. I can say what I think. I'm not going to just hold my tongue. And I don't know that they really know how to deal with that. You know, I don't know that the industry still knows how to deal with a woman who makes no apologies for being a woman in fly fishing. I don't know if society knows yes, how to deal with that. that's true. I don't Even know. the fact, I was thinking about that um, on the way here in the airplane. You know, if somebody were to say to me in an interview, do you think that you can be a bit of a bitch? And my answer would be, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I was thinking about what is a bitch? Right. What is a bitch? Speaking my mind, does that make me a bitch? Yes, of course it does. <laughs> what if you speak your mind? Does that make you an asshole? Or does that make you a savvy businessman? Right. Because I think I'm a pretty savvy business woman. Me too. Um, so I guess I'm a bitch. Hey, I can own bitch. I can own bitch. As an ex-pastor's wife, I can own bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who you were married to? Yeah, I was married to a pastor. Wow. I know, right? We'll have to save that conversation for some drinks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, is there anything that you would like to see me as a woman in the industry doing, and I'll explain. Somebody had put it into perspective for me. She had said, you know, you've climbed that ladder and you've been at the, you've been up on the top of that ladder for so long that you forget what it's like to do the climb. Mm. Is there something I can be doing for women who are new to the industry and the sport that maybe I'm not doing right now? You know what I think? I think that we need to, um, when we look at the social media aspect of it, I think that's where we get the most blowback. And I think that, you know, Jules McQueen, who is a really, um, she's a huntress, whatever you think of that word. Um, but she, she is a really good hunter. And she said to me something that was really interesting because I brought up the the idea of well, what do you do with all the the people who are not legitimate in hunting because they have the same issue as Big a woman. Time. They have you it know, really yeah, bad. Yeah, they have it really bad. What do you do with women who are not legitimate, you know, but they get all this stuff? And she said something that was so interesting, and I haven't forgotten it, and I've passed it on with her credit. Um, and she said to me, you know what, I thought about this a lot. Because she's getting older too, like we all are, and the younger generation is coming up, the prettier, the skinnier, the, you know, whatever. And she said, longevity is going to take care of those who are not legitimate. But I've gotten to the point where I have to say, if that one person, even if they're completely illegitimate in the sport, gets one other woman involved in the sport, then I have to be behind her 100%. And I think that we have to start looking at it in a different way. And so I would encourage you to not 
apologize for anything, but I like the fact that you have women on the, on your podcast. And I would, I would encourage you to keep doing that because you have a very influential voice and we appreciate that. We know that you are legitimate and we respect what you say and what you say is important. And so getting more women who are in the industry and who are real to speak is what is going to speak volumes to the community as a whole. Thank you. I'm going to wrap that up right there. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. 